everyone, welcome to the Filipino American Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Henrik, with my co-host, Aaron. Before we begin, I would like to mention we have a guide called Our Six Pillars of a Successful Philam Young Adult Ministry. And it's a guide with the reflections that we've had on our young adult ministry in the past. And I hope it's a good resource for you. If you're trying to start a next-gen ministry at your church, uh, I, hope this mini- I hope this guide is really helpful for you. And you can download it in the link in the description. Our guest today is Pastor Glenn Plastina. He uh, trained in three seminaries, and then while he was there, he decided to advance his training at Haggai Institute, and then he became a founding CEO of a nonprofit school and foundation. And now he's the lead church planter of Point Church Filipino, currently located in Crabtree Valley of Raleigh. And he's also serving as the international network leader of the Triangle Church Network, which is formerly Point Church. And he also authored several books. So thank you, Pastor Glenn, for joining us. Hey, bro, welcome. <laughs> I saw that your name is actually Dr. Glenn Plastina. So can you uh, share more about your educational background? Yeah, so I started my bachelor's degree at the Baptist Bible Seminary Institute, where a lot of our pastors here in the Filipino pastors in the U.S. went to. And then after that, um, I took my master's degree at Philippine Baptist Theological Seminary in PBTS. Okay. And their three-year program, I was able to finish it in just two years. So mm-hmm. I have nowhere to go. Uh, I failed in one subject. I missed actually one subject, uh, which is leading congregational singing. And so uh... I had to wait for a year. So what they did, they recommended me to go to Doctor of Theology program. And so during that gap year i finished my academics in my thd program and when i finished my md i also finished my thd in just a few years after that and actually i did not include there i also went to another christian college uh, took my bachelor's on religious education but usually i don't include it because it was just like an additional like you know a oh like a refresher for me so yeah, that's oh. <laughs> Wow, our guest is very um, educated and scholarly. Uh, <laughs> for me, I'm a firm believer that we keep on learning. So Amen. even right now, well, we still keep on learning. Yeah. Amen. So Pastor Glenn, can you also share about your current ministries? Like, I want to hear more about the nonprofit school and foundation you started, and then also your work as a church planter. Yeah, so before I came to the U.S., I was the CEO of a Christian foundation. My family started that. And I have this vision of a Christian school where kids will be, they were, they're going to have a Christian education curriculum. But at the same time, I want to produce more entrepreneurs and leaders. So I have to integrate leadership training for these elementary and high school students. So during that time, that was the system that I built in that school. Uh, we call it Gen Next School of Leaders Foundation, meaning Generation Next. So we, we started that program. That was after my training in AGI for the advanced leadership in Hawaii. And so when I went home, we built that school with some partners. And then, you know, we, we have this uh, uh, kinder up to high school. And then at the top of my leadership as a CEO, somehow there's like an emptiness in my heart. Like I want to, you know, I have these questions like, is this all there is in life? And then I remember my first love for missions. I said, God, if you're going to lead us to global missions, then please show me. And so that's what happened to cut the story short. Uh, we were able to have an opportunity, we have an opportunity to come to the U.S., um, I came here first alone, and then I went back to the Philippines when I was already sure that we have a ministry that we could start. So that was really my dream to plant a church. And uh, we pray, we prayed about it, and then we served in. We came to the U.S. in 2017, and uh, we ministered in New Jersey for three years, and then two years and six months ago, we came to North Carolina because there's this opening for us to plant. Coin uh, Church Filipino. And mm-hmm. so we had that, you know, at the same time, I'm also serving as the international missions director. So it's like a, you know, a double edged kind of ministry 
where I could serve both in missions, international missions, and local church planting. So I, I grabbed the opportunity. And so last January, we already launched. And right now, we are transitioning to become an independent, self-sustaining church by the end of this year. Oh, okay. Nice. So that's uh, Point Church Filipino, right? Yeah. And we call it right currently because we're changing the name. Uh, we're cur- currently calling it the Filipino Project. Oh, that's the new name of the church? Just like a transitionary, because by the end of this month, we have to decide what would be our name, because we're praying to become a multi-ethnic church. Oh, okay. So currently it's a Filipino church, Yeah, you're you're praying for it to become a multi-ethnic church. Yeah, because we already have like um, different nationalities already are joining us. Oh, okay. Yeah. How how is it... uh, related to the triangle church network so the triangle church network was our sponsor they were the ones who gave had this initiative to plant a church and then at the same time the convention also is supporting me uh, and it's like a partnership for us but at the same time um, by the end of this year the goal is for us to become self-supporting like independent and so that's that's the goal. So do you have a lot of um, fellowship with that point church, uh, the Triangle Network, church uh, church network? So the Triangle Church Network used to be the point church, and they have 20 campuses. It's mm-hmm. like, I think, top 37 fastest growing church in the whole U.S., I think three or maybe four or five years ago. And this uh, past two years, there were some major changes. So they transitioned from a multi-site church into a, you know, a network of independent churches. So right now, um, there were, I think, three or four of us who are transitioning. We're the last ones because uh, the Philipp- Point Filipino is the last that was launched. Uh, so the, the, we're the youngest church in the network. So yeah, we pray with us that we would be become you know self sustaining as we prayed for. <laughs> That's our desire. How large is that that church? So currently, since January, um, we are we are renting a church right at the heart of a rally area, and we're averaging 43, 44, and the max maybe seventy two, and oh, then okay. yeah. So summer is going to be a challenging season because, you know, Filipinos, they love vacation, man. So <laughs> it's going to be a challenging one. <laughs> yeah, I, I have that experience in my in my old church. They Every time it's the summertime, um, the full, we're never at full attendance because everyone keeps uh, vacationing during that time. Right, right. So I understand how you feel right now. <laughs> It's hardest for worship leaders, you know, when you're trying to schedule people. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow, we have at least uh, two or three. Because our worship team right now, my my daughter started it. She was alone at the time. And then after a few months, uh, right now, we're almost 12 in the worship team. So uh, tomorrow, we'll we'll miss at least two or three. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm kind of curious, Pastor uh, Glenn, is there a reason why the transitionary name is the Filipino Project? Um, My mentor recommended it, the Filipino Project. It's because we are also getting some partners. So it's like uh, right now, um, the, the major partner that we have is Triangle Church Network and also the convention. So we since we are heading towards a new season, so there, my mentor sees the need that we have to, you know, have more partners so that, you know, other churches who are also interested, they believe in the potentials of the Filipinos to become like diaspora missionaries. Um, there are actually a lot of churches here. They saw the potentials of the Filipinos here. So they want to take part. So it's like a collaboration or a project, but it's something like that. But the goal is to remove Filipino uh, in the name uh, because that's our prayer that we would become a multi-ethnic. Yeah, majority of us, like 95% or 90% Filipinos, but 
uh, how about those who are non-Filipinos and non-Asians who are joining us? So yeah, that that's really you know a big challenge for us. Yeah, I remember you uh, were interviewing me before, and you were telling you're asking me about my thoughts on Filipino churches if they should become multi-ethnic. I remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I'm doing a research on that one. <laughs> You're currently doing research on that for your book, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for the listeners, uh, Pastor Glenn is writing a book about appreciation for Filipino SB churches in the U.S. Yeah. So he's doing some a lot of research, and he interviewed me uh, to get my my perspective on. And, and he also listens to our podcast. So yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that book. Um, but going back to that question, I wanted to hear uh, your thoughts because I shared my thoughts there. But I want to hear. So, what do you think about that question? So currently, uh, Henry, this this really like I have heard both sides. Like I have heard some Filipinos who said like uh, doing Filipino ministry or planting a Filipino church is not feasible. But at the same time, I also heard you know on the other side that yes, it is feasible. It is possible. Uh, knowing the fact that there are many Filipino churches. So what I'm really being challenged is, as Filipino churches, um, my thought is that if we are going to be really faithful to the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations, not just Filipinos, then we are challenged. I know that this is, uh, for me, that's not a problem. I would rather consider it as a challenge because it is possible in a way by God's grace and because he mandated it, then that means he will be the one. If he's the one who gave the vision, then he will be the one to give the provision. So I think um, we, you know, we will see how this would work out. This will not be easy because I have also seen some Filipinos that looks like they just want to reach their fellow people group and they just want to you know stay comfortable within that safe zone of just being with fellow Filipinos but as a global pastor as an international pastor who fully understood the power of the Great Commission where we have to reach nations then I think um, there is a reason why God allowed us Filipinos to easily adapt with different cultures and I believe it has something to do with the Great Commission also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like I'm torn between two. But that's mm -hmm. a good thing. Where there is tension, there is growth. Mm, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you believe that Filipino churches should be aimed to be multi-ethnic for the sake of the Great Commission. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, that's something that I was talking about. It's interesting you bring that up because I was talking about that with a brother in Christ just yesterday, and he had the same. He gave me. He told me the same thing, how uh, Filipino churches sh in a, in striving to follow the Great Commission, they should uh, aim to become more multi multi ethnic. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, again, it's not going to be easy. I mean, Jesus did not promise us an easy commission. That is why. Some would say it's a consummation in Filipino, but <laughs> but it's a challenge. Yeah. Do you have a, a particular strategy, or is there a like a model, a church model that you're aiming to take on this endeavor? So currently, since I started, um, this is like actually I had like a false start at the beginning. So it's like we rented a building immediately. And then we started, okay, let's launch. And then you know what happened? It's just like five. Me, my wife, and my three kids. Uh. <laughs> so so we we stayed in that building for, for a month. You know, we rented it. We have already like the equipments that we are going to use. And then we stopped and said, no, there must be a change that we are going to do. And so we started building relationships because as Asian Americans, we value connectivity, relationship, and all those things. So we started, that's quite slow, but after several months, we were able to already meet like a hundred more of Filipinos. And then we started sharing our desire. 
to plant a church. And so what started like a small group, another small group in another town, another small group in one town. After several months, we call it like microsites. Mm. And then after three months or four, we combined and that became the church. Mm. So we were, for me, it's like a guerrilla strategy. Small group, small group, small group, minimum expense, maximum effectiveness, Discipleship is plan A, not plan B, and then you you combine them together. That becomes church. Is is it gonna be feasible in other urban and rural areas? I think so. I think so. That means even professionals who wanted to plant a church, they don't have to be seminary graduates to be able to plant a church. If they can do small group, another small group, and another small group, just watch the time to grow and then you could combine them to become a church. So so that sounds like the strategy is um, starting with small groups. And then, so that's how, that's the plan for multi-ethnic growth. You'll, you'll start different uh, multi-ethnic small groups. And then as they come together, the church will become more multi-ethnic. Yeah. And then, of course, you have to be, you have to have the common agreement that all our ministries are in English. No, no Tagalog, no, because we have 187 languages. Which one? So we have rather to, we, we, we must rather be in agreement that since we are in the U.S., let's use English as our common language. Mm-hmm. And in all our ministries, preaching, music, and all those things. I see. So now the, the other non-Asian people, they're comfortable to attend because... Mm-hmm. They will not be out of place. Mm-hmm. So even in the informal gatherings, there they shouldn't speak any Filipino. So especially because you can sometimes you cannot avoid because there are still some you know especially in small groups sometimes. But we always right now I have seen some changes where in the small group they become more sensitive, where if there is someone out there who cannot understand the Filipino language and they have to communicate in a way. So that they will not, you know, uh, make that person uncomfortable or awkward or something. So that that's part, I think, the cultural or just like a sensitivity. I have a follow-up, uh, Pastor Glenn. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I think that strategy of uh, like the small group coming together is, I think, that's really good, and it works really well, especially in a Filipino mm-hmm. culture, right? Because, like, we like to come together. Culturally, that's just, um, I mean, it's just, we like to have fellowship with one another. Yeah. I guess I, I want to push a little bit on, and I want to know what your thoughts mm-hmm. are regarding uh, like culture. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the pro arguments for having just a Filipino church is, I think is, uh, it's not just the language barrier, right? I think the language barrier is one that immigrant churches have, especially if, a lot of their people don't really speak English, but for us Filipinos, like you said, like it's a gift that we can adjust and we speak English really well. But I think you probably also noticed that even when you did have the small groups, most of the people who are invited are still Filipinos. I guess because that, yeah. that's that's our close circle, right? That's our oikos, right? That's our yeah. that's who we know. So I guess like if we if you are deciding as a church to move towards being multi ethnic. Mm. Uh, what are like specific i mean you know that when we get together as a as a filipino uh, like as filipinos there's like there's filipino culture so for example right if i have a small group yeah. bible study at my home you know there's going to be a lot of food there's going to be a lot of talking maybe before we start the bible study yeah a lot of hanging out before we even even get to like the bible study so already the culture there is very filipino yeah I think that's kind of the challenge, right, of being multi-ethnic is which culture is going to be primary? Is it going to be, is it, is there going to be like an intentional move away from Filipino group to make it more American in a sense, right? Where yeah. everybody can fit in, or are you going to be having a specific Filipino group, a specific American group, maybe, or maybe specific youth group? What are, you, what are your thoughts on like because this is a struggle that we have too even though we are aiming to be more filipino but it's still a struggle for us because of course there's 
people joining, you know. So what are your thoughts on this one? That's a good question, Aaron, because uh, through the years that I was here, and I have seen also some other Filipino churches who has been here like 30 years, like 20 years, 15 years. And I have seen that really. But yeah. sometimes when I observe it, like especially the longer that they have, especially the second gen, man, these are not these are Americans, like brown, brown skin, white minds, something like that. Right. You know? And even with that first gen, second gen, there's already, already like a huge difference in their culture. And and then not only that, Filipinos can be tribal. So Cebuano folks, uh, uh, Cebuano people, or region of Palawa or Palawan or uh, Mindanao, something like that. There, there's still that clicks that they have. And I think it's going to be the same with other churches. It's just like, uh, I think the dominant culture, there will always be a dominant culture. Like in, in a white church, the dominant culture, of course, is white. In a black church, the dominant culture is black. But nonetheless, even if you take a look at it, they're still different. In there's still like nuances. So I think for me, um, as long as we are intentional in our desire to really become multi-ethnic, if it happens, praise God. If not, then most likely God is a plan. I mean, I mean it's not it's not within my control. But as long as everybody knows that that is in my heart. Or we could change the strategies, just like setting goals. If you, you know, if you achieve your goal, then you break it and then make another, uh, make bigger goal. So why not, if that will not happen, then why not sponsor a different ethnic church? In that way, like our, our goal is by becoming, but that, the time that we become self-sustaining, if we could sponsor like a Hispanic church planter, in that way, we could still fulfill. I mean, there's no single way in fulfilling multi-ethnic churches. So I think for us, if there is a problem, let's just uh, like be open and think outside the box. If it will not happen for us, although that has always been our desire to do it, to become multi-ethnic, then, you know, let it be. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but for me, yeah, um, for me, it's just like I'm open to the possibility that whatever may happen, as long as it is, you know, the direction that God wants us, then I think I am not threatened by the so-called like failure to become multi-ethnic or the success. After all, that's not my identity as a servant of God, right? Like we are still part of the big family of God. I mean, a multi-ethnic church is not more spiritual than a monoculture church. Like, you know, whether you call it Korean church, Vietnamese church, or Indian, it doesn't matter for me. Like, right, right, right. It's, a, it's just like, ideally, that might be the best thing that we could do, right? Wow. Uh, I love your spirit there. I, I think that's, I think that is something that uh, we all need to adopt, right? I mean, it's, it, we obey God, right? we follow him, but it, we try our best, but in the end, it's it's he's sovereign. It's all in his hands. Exactly. So exactly. I, I, yeah, I, I really, I think I like that. That you have a vision for multi-ethnic church. Yeah. Yet you're flexible. Yeah. You know, and your identity is not there. So I'm kind of curious then, like, what in your mind, what what does a multi-ethnic church look like, right? In like. When would you say that you have at least gotten to that point where you are multi-ethnic? Is it when you have uh, like a multi-ethnicity when it comes to leadership or congregation or mm -hmm. what are you, how, how, how can you know when you have at least are going in that direction? Sometimes I make a joke that just uh, <laughs> leading Filipinos from different regions were already like a multi-ethnic church. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree. But ideally, if I'm going to take a look at it uh, from a multi-ethnic, it should be on different levels. Like we can be multi-ethnic in our congregation, but if the leadership are still purely Filipinos, 
then there's still like a need for that to reconsider like are we really multi-ethnic or we might be you know just for the sake of diversity oh let's choose like have a multi-ethnic uh, shared leadership but then again you know uh down the down the road you know the grassroots level it's not multi-ethnic simply because the guy was married to a filipina doesn't mean that you know the guy who is a non-asian you know they're effective in reaching out other cultures something like that so for me i would consider multi-ethnic if in both level leadership and also the 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 you know the membership or the composition that I would say is you know because you can you can have either one multi-ethnic the other one is not or here you have multi-ethnic here it's not right yeah so i want to have both where every, both the leadership and the people have them that's how i you know consider a multi-ethnic church Right. Uh, I was just thinking when you were saying that joke that maybe, you know, I was thinking maybe perhaps it is true that it's never binary where you're either multi-ethnic or not multi-ethnic. Maybe it's not like black and white. Maybe it's more like a little bit of this or more towards that, you know, like mm -hmm. I think as Filipinos, you're right that there is, even though we're Filipinos, I'm Igorot, somebody's Ilocano, somebody's from Mindanao, and right. culturally, that's already very different. Like, even with my wife, right, I'm married to her, but mm -hmm. culturally, we're so different. Yeah. And I'm also like a third culture at the same time. So like you said, even in our churches, we have second generation, and that's already a very different culture. Yeah, even with my kids. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, my kids are what? <laughs> that's yeah, <so> <laughs> Yeah, so perhaps you're right there, uh, Pastor Glenn, that it's about how, you know, how flexible we are as well in trying to figure out how we can best minister our congregations. Yeah. What are we calling was, Yeah. Yeah, when I was young, it was like more of black and white. Right. You know, my way or the highway, something like that. But the more you mature in the ministry and then you understand the, the differences, you know, the dynamics and stuff like that. It's hard, especially if you're talking about culture. And the best thing that you can do is really just contextualize. If this is our setting, this is the context where we are right now. You know, the principles doesn't change, but some of the practices that we have, you know, we have to adjust to where we are. Like North Carolina churches are not all the same, hmm. especially here in the Triangle. This is like the Silicon Valley of the East. Oh, yeah. So the people here are different. So even when I was in Jersey, you know, the Filipinos there are different. Yeah. And maybe for some of you who traveled already to different states, you have noticed that if you meet a group of Filipinos, there you can really see like, oh, there's something unique with this group of people. You know, they're not that bad. They're not that good. It's just something unique. So I think for us as pastors, wherever God called us, whether that is a church, every church is unique. It has its own personality, idiosyncrasies, and stuff like that. So just be appreciative of what God has built in that community of faith. Hmm. Amen. In relation to that, Pastor Glenn, I th some of a lot of our listeners probably attend Filipino churches. So what kind of advice do you would you give them do you think they should also aspire to become multi-ethnic so i think the i want to capitalize on the strengths of filipinos who are in the marketplace like we all know this that a lot of filipinos they excel in the marketplace and they have gained some level of respect and at the same time level of influence and if they're going to turn their, their work into a ministry, they actually have that as their mission field, you know, the workplace itself that they have. So if they're if they're only like if they were they have the strong foundation to be discipled, to become disciples of nations or different ethnicities, 
I believe that would be a strong point for us. I mean, there's nothing wrong in having purely Filipino group as your nucleus, but but the goal is to really help them understand that guys, God has placed you. He brought you here from the Philippines, and then you He placed you at a certain space and time connected with these people, and they're not purely Filipinos. They, are, they they came from different races or whatever whatever uh, nationalities they have. You know? Take advantage of that and be a witness of God in that marketplace. So it's like that for me is very very I would say a great opportunity and a very powerful potential for our fellow Filipinos to be a blessing to other nations. Like the mission field is right there in your backyard. Yeah, before American churches have to send missionaries to go to different countries. Right now, different countries are already in here in our own backyard. Since we also came from the Philippines as first generation, and for you as second generation, you're already here. Good for you because the mission field is right here already. Mm -hmm. So that's just like a change of perspective, you know, shift of. Uh, perspective or paradigm whatever you call that <laughs> you know yeah i think that's something that we're lacking in our culture is yeah. um trying to get the idea that we should evangelize to our co-workers mm -hmm. and learning how to um be in community with them because in i think in american society uh the work culture is very individualistic where um I was talking to an Indian coworker who is also a Christian. He mm. mentioned that in um, India, it's normal to invite your coworker to church, mm -hmm. but in American culture, it takes a long time of uh, relationship building for you to start inviting a friend to church. And he he's told me he's been a engineer for a long time, mm. and he said that uh, during that during that time period. It's it's really hard for him to get his coworkers to uh, just visit his church. Mm. So I think there's a lot of um, work that needs to be done, especially in even in American culture, mm -hmm. like getting that idea across where we should um, be in more intentional in our workplaces to share the gospel. So I think that's a good emphasis to have for mm -hmm. um, Filipino churches and especially. In Filipino churches, that's probably the place where they're going to meet uh, non-Filipinos. It's in that workplace setting, so I think that's a good um, that's a good that's a good place to start in terms of how you can start to become more multi-ethnic. Yeah, and then also an appreciation that in every culture there are what we call advantages and disadvantages. Like actually, there's also positive and negative on individualistic culture. There's also a positive and negative negative uh, aspect on you know so strong when it comes to like Asian culture. They're very strong in shame culture. Like there are positive there, positive positives there, but there's also negatives there. So it's just like when our fellow Filipinos will be able to appreciate that actually some of these individualistic people. There comes a time like they feel so lonely and they envy, like, why is these people, they are like so family oriented. When they visit the church, it's just like, oh, and that's just like the common feedback that we have. It's just like when these visitors or guests, when they come, they were treated like a family. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's not just a slogan for us, like treat them like a family, uh, treat them like uh, like a family and make a difference for eternity. Why? Because there, that's one of the disadvantages of um, individualistic culture. You know, there's this strong like loneliness because they're isolated. They're like on their own. But we have also to understand that even with our strong ties, sometimes we lose our identity in the crowd. So again, I'm just uh, advocating like a balanced perspective, just teaching them like, hey, uh, let's apply wisdom, um, discernment, that when we advance the gospel, we will always be sensitive to the culture of the people. We have to understand where they're coming from so that 
we can present the gospel in a, in a way that they could understand. It's more than just saying like, hey, Jesus is the answer. Yeah, but what's the question? So, you know, in our culture, they have some longings, they have some needs, and every culture, they have that. You know, this need is stronger in this kind of culture. This need is stronger here, but not here. And the moment you discern that, you're, you know, you see the nuances there. I believe uh, with God's help and with the discernment from the Holy Spirit, then you can penetrate, you know, through that need and the gospel will be more, you know, they will be more open to embrace the gospel. Like, hey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point because um, something I always emphasize in my old church is if we're going to try to be multi-ethnic, we should figure out the needs of the culture that mm. we're trying to minister to. And we should, um, I think culture is an important aspect of uh, everyday life. And so when we, if we're going to be multi-ethnic or multicultural, you need to be aware of the differences. Otherwise, mm. you don't know how you should bring the gospel to them because every culture has a different, like you said, different need. So mm. how can you minister to them? Because if you're talking about, if you're talking to a shame-based culture and then you're talking about the guilt aspects of the gospel, they're not going to really feel the gospel as much until you start talking about the shame aspect, then they can start relating more to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a good um, thing to keep in mind for multi-ethnic churches or those who are striving to become multi-ethnic, that, um, that cultural awareness that everyone is different. So I think that's good. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of this conversation. There should always be a dialogue. Like, it's not that my culture is better than yours. My generation is better than yours. No. Um, in fact, my strength or my weakness could be your strength. And then mm -hmm. your weakness could be my strength. But if we dialogue, we we talk, we we you know, we come to understand together, and then we could work it out together, then I believe there is a better hope for us to really advance the gospel in a way that's more and that's uh you know understandable to the people group or you know the generation that we intend to bring that gospel to. So I think it's just a matter of really communicating. Uh, with the people, not just like doing the monologue, like, hey, this is it, this is it, this is it. And then we're not, you know, I think we should have two ears to listen and maybe one mouth to just shut, <laughs> shut up sometimes, you know, and hear what people, what people's longing or even their desperations or their desires and dreams or even fears. And, uh, hopes you know because every people are different so i think it just kind of rounding this back so as a first generation filipino pastor trying to become multi-ethnic yeah. what are some of your challenges as a pastor you know trying to achieve that vision in a in an american context so for me because of my background like I don't want to be a jack of all trade master of nothing. So there is always someone out there who can do it better than I am and maybe 10 times better than I am. So right now I'm really praying for a partner where he could reach out to a specific people group in a certain culture. You know, and there is also a certain people group where I could minister to. And I don't dare to take over somebody's shoes that's, you know, that doesn't fit, you know, I, I would not fit there. So I think for me, the power of having shared leadership in a multi-generational group of leaders, like you mentor second gen, you know, and also develop homegrown leaders and stuff like that, you know. I think that's the that's that's the beauty if you're not insecure with your leadership. Like, hey guys, if I train you, you become 10 times better than I am. I will be your number one fan. I man, go for it. Okay. So I'm just whatever I have, I give it to you. You can learn from me, but I have to make it sure that I'm going to learn from you. 
So let's just keep on the dialogue, the conversation, so that we could reach more people for Christ. And for me, if I want to be effective in reaching out multi-ethnic, then I need multi-perspective mm -hmm. and multi-skilled people. That's just the way it is. Like, you cannot be a square peg in a round hole. You know, you have to be that sharp when it comes to reaching out. So leverage on other people's skills, leverage on other, because, you know, if our priority is to develop leaders who could reach multi-ethnic people, then you need a multi-ethnic, you know, team with you. Yeah. That's something that you're trying to develop right now. Yeah. You're on the right track with that. So I have to be careful that if in my team, I have a monoculture, that's to my disadvantage. That means I'm not going to the right direction. You know, if that's that what I really want to have a multi -ethnic. I have to have somebody in my team who is on that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of missions. And um, when uh, missionaries go abroad, they don't plan to be the um, main pastor there. Their mm -hmm. goal usually is to raise up indigenous leaders because it's hard. They they can only share so much, like you said, as is as their own culture. You can only share so much to that culture because you're coming from a different culture. So it's better yeah. to disciple the indigenous leaders so they can also uh, be able to reach their own culture because they can point out sins in their own culture and point out needs in their own culture and desires for our God in their own culture better than you can. So I think that's, that reminds me a lot of the missions approach. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. 150%. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Pastor Glenn, do you already have a good number of second gen in your church? So currently I think we're maybe 35%. Mm. Second gen. So these guys, when they talk, like we're as parents, we're just like, are those our kids or what? <laughs> because uh, they have a different perspective. But the beauty is that since they have that foundation, the, the strong points of being Filipinos, like respect for the elderly, um, family oriented, you know, and at the same time, um, you know, they, they could also have that freedom to just build that strong relationship because especially for Filipinos, we value relationships and friendships. And even though they're not our blood, uh, they're not blood related with us, we still call them like our families. So I think that that's, that's you know, that's just our composition right now. But I'm praying that our young people would continue to start reaching out more uh you know young people also and so we're praying for a college ministry but then again i still i still believe in a balance because uh, even though you have a lot of college students but your um your parents are diminishing or stuff like that you might you know both have advantages and disadvantages mm. so pastor Glenn, in your leadership structure then do you already have a second gen there kind of leading the second gen as well or is it still a first gen so right now um i i i have a new i'm mentoring a new youth pastor mm -hmm. and uh because i i know that i cannot you know uh reach on that level especially with the young people how i wish lord will call call one of my sons but you know it's up to the point but um so since we started last January, uh, yeah, thank God. We have one young, but most of our second gen are still college students. Mm. So, and maybe 50% high school. Yeah, I think that's always the uh, one of the first places I think Filipino churches can become multi-ethnic or one, aside from the one you mentioned about the workplaces, uh, something that I always see happening in Filipino churches, if they're going to become multi-ethnic, an advantage is the youth or the young people because they can act as a bridge between the first generation and the second generation. I right. mean, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry. First generation and American culture. Mm -hmm. So second generation can act as that bridge because they, they were able to experience living in both worlds 
they already know what it's like to live in American culture with different cultures already. Mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, really um, calling on them to help the church, that's where the church will start to become more multi-ethnic. And I think a lot of other pastors have mentioned that observation as well. Yeah. But that's really a big challenge for the second generation because if our churches do not look like their school, which is diverse, especially here in our town, in Morrisville, this is the center of the triangle. 30% are Indians. Like, man, the school is so diverse. And if you know what they see at school, when they come to church, it's a different setting. It's like a monoculture. Then just imagine what would happen to them once they, you know, you're going to lose your second gen. If, mm. yeah. So that is just like a wake up call for pastors to be open and to really learn. Because if we cannot solve that, then I'm afraid, I'm concerned that we're going to lose our second generation. Yeah, that's a good observation. I think that's that's a very something I've seen as well, where uh, second generation, they they see their church as their um, parents' church, or mm-hmm. they see their, their home church as just uh, like a family church, but they don't see it as a place they could actually bring their friends to. Yeah. And... Um, they they they're more used to sometimes the american way of doing things mm-hmm. like in their schools the schools is has uh, their own way like uh, the american way of um doing events mm. and doing projects but then in the filipino church it's a little different so i understand where where people are coming from when they they would rather go to an american church because that's what they're, that's what they're used to yeah uh, when we started the church planting it's very important that if you plant a church, you're a church planter, you have young people as your kids. What I did is I partnered with church. I asked my kids, go to this church for the youth fellowship. Okay. It doesn't matter. I don't care if whether I bring you there or, you know, I have to drive. It doesn't matter. As long as you have a place where you can still connect with young people. Right now, when we already have our young people for several months, they're already on their own. But I think this month, it came to my mind like, hey, let's go back to that. You know, I want them to still get connected with other. You know, so we could partner with another church where they have their young people. We have our young people. You know, let's have a joint fellowship so that they would still be able to see like, hey, this looks like our classroom. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be like, for me, that's a time saver also. I mean, I am not. We're still part of the kingdom of God. We're not like my territory. No, we're not like that. Amen. But if we could work together, and then we could, you know, for the sake of our second gen, let's do it. I, I understand that some pastors are, you know, concerned about that. What if I'm going to lose? Why are, are those your young people or the Lord's young people? Like, so uh, for me, I'm also open with that. Hmm. You're referring to um, how your church can fellowship with other other American churches is what yeah. you're referring to? Yeah. yeah. So I think this month or next month, we have to reconnect, uh, re- reconnect our young people with another uh, American church. So yeah. that we say that, hey, we have a sister church. You know, they have like, hey, those young people out there, you know, um, we're not actually like isolated or what. So yeah, I think a, I think a common struggle is um, second gen feel lonely in their church because they don't. A lot of times they don't have anyone that's similar to them, and then the first generation is doing all of the um, is leading the ministries at right. the church. But at, at least if in that fellowship that you're mentioning, they can meet other people who are similar ages as them who are also growing. Yeah, they can feel less lonely. So I think that's good. Yeah, right now, thankfully, we still have ways to, like, 100% of our young people are involved in any form of ministry. Like, I think 80% are in the worship team also. So, because everyone that comes to the church, hey, if you want, if you think that God or if you believe God is calling you to join this church, 
there's a big room for ministry here. You cannot just come here like as a consumer. You have to be here to be a minister. Like you have a place to serve. So we are going to give you an opportunity to that, you know, assist and stuff like that. So we want to build that culture. Everyone has a ministry. You know, there is an open ministry for you. And I think if we develop that kind of servant leadership for young people, then wherever the Lord would lead, a, lead them someday, they would also carry the kind of values where wherever I am, I could still serve God. Amen. All right, um, Pastor Glenn, so I think we should close up. But before we um, close our time together, I want to ask you for the, our listeners who are probably mostly Filipino-American church leaders, uh, what kind of advice I want to ask you, what kind of advice would you do you want to give to the Filipino-American church? Yeah, so, so one I think is as leaders, as pastors, we're still disciples of Jesus Christ. And being a disciple is we are learners. So I would really, really encourage that since we are in this new culture, no matter how long we are, you know, we're already here or what, um, let's keep on learning. Um, whatever we learned like 10 years or 20 or 15 years ago, uh, let's check if those things are still working. I mean, we're not saying that we have to change our message, but the method, the way we do ministry, even in church planting, uh, when I have a, I went through a church planting project and the mentor that I have, like the strategy is somewhat like, I'm not sure if this is going to work in our setting or something like that. I think there's a great room for learning for everyone. And one of the fastest ways is to learn from one another. And, you know, conversations like this, uh, I learn from you, you learn from me, we learn from each other. And if that same values uh, values we carry that in the ministry i think we will you know continue to grow it's a healthy we're talking about healthy growth and my advice is even for um different generations keep on learning you know talk to people listen ask questions there's no wrong questions and learn listen and love what you're doing and after all we're all one body in christ and the more that we follow the Lord, the more we should love learning. Mm, amen. I love that. And um, I think that's kind of the heart of our podcast, too. So we're we're constantly learning. And this is why we invite all of our guests. We want to keep learning and hear different perspectives and have a dialogue. That's, that's the heart of our, our podcast. Mm. So, yeah, thanks, Pastor Glenn, for your time. Thank you for um, sharing your wisdom, your insight. And I hope it's a real blessing to our, our listeners. And um, yeah, so thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome, bro. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. It's a blessing. Thank you so much.